Why don't you get your Bible out, open it up with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. This is where we're going to be today, Nehemiah chapter 2. Deneen was born in the Ukraine and came to the United States to go to college. Uh, She had a real heart uh, for God and an incredible voice that she used to uh, lead people in worship. In fact, after she graduated from college, she uh, traveled with the Billy Graham Association for a period of time, uh, leading in worship and often taking church groups back to her home country uh, to minister, share the gospel, and, and go into orphanages and care for children, orphans there. After she married, her and her husband decided to adopt a son from one of those orphanages that really changed her life. In fact, several months later, she had to go back to the Ukraine for another church-sponsored trip. And she said when, when she went back into the orphanage, it was totally different this time. Because now when she looked in the eyes of one of those orphans, she saw her own son. She saw their desperate need, that there was no one coming for them. There was no one coming to rescue them. And what welled up in her heart is what I called last week a divine discontent, right? If you haven't heard that message, you're going to want to go hear that this week, and then this message will make a little more sense. A divine discontent, right? That surely this is not what God wants, and surely someone needs to be here to, to rescue these children, to embrace these children. They, they, they need a Christian home. And so that began to churn in her heart and churn in her spirit. Then she learned that a home in the Ukraine uh, cost about the same as a vehicle in the United States. And she got this idea, what if, we were, what if we were able to obtain home or build a home there and then take a couple that were a Christian couple and would adopt two or three out of the orphanage and give them a Christian family in a Christian home, how that could change generations. And, and that was the vision that God gave her. In fact, that was really when Hope House International was born. It was born out of that passion that God had placed in her heart. But listen, it took a lot of steps of faith to get to there. In fact, today, Hope House International has 800 orphans that have been uh, taken out of the orphanage and placed in Christian homes that are really affecting multi-generational impact uh, right now. But what happened between the, the, the divine discontent and the impact that she's making, what stood in between those two things was a step of faith. It's always that way. God turns your heart. God gives you a vision. There's something that says it shouldn't be that way. Somebody needs to do something. And the, the, the distance between that and actually something happening is that somebody's got to trust God and take a step of faith. In fact, uh, Martin Luther uh, once said that faith is a living daring confidence in God. I love that. That's a great quote, right? A living, daring confidence in God. That's what faith is. And that's the normal Christian life, by the way, that God calls us not just to be moved in our hearts, but he calls us to move into action. And that is a step of faith. And so that's what we're talking about here in Nehemiah chapter 2. You can write over the top of Nehemiah chapter 2, the step of faith. Because that's really what it is. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we're hearing the why. What motivated Nehemiah? He heard this word that Israel was still in ruins and his heart was broken. And he had this divine discontent that something needed to happen. And God began to birth in his heart a vision uh, to be an answer to that problem. But it's not till chapter 2 that you see Nehemiah stepping out in faith and really trusting God to do something great. 
And in this message, you're going to learn a little bit about the steps of faith that God is calling us as a church to take, especially in this next year. Okay, so let's just dive into it now. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Uh, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad? when you aren't sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Now stop right there. It's the month of Nisan, not the car, but the month, okay? And this is about four months after Nehemiah received this bad report that Israel was in ruin. So for four months, what's he been doing? Well, he's been praying. He's been planning. He's been thinking and dreaming about what could happen. How could he make a difference? And he's been asking God to open up this window of opportunity. God, you're going to have to go before me. God, you're going to have to open up a door. I just can't go talk to the king about this. He's got to almost invite me into the conversation. God, do something. And so here it is. That's exactly what happens that while he was serving the king and the queen, and he's praying about this, and his obvious broken heart became apparent on his own countenance. And the king noticed it. Now, by the way, this can be a very scary thing because there was actually a Persian law at the time that said no one could be anything but happy in the presence of the king. I'd like that law around my house. You know, no one can be anything but happy around dad. But I don't think it happens. Anyway, but that was the case in Persia. And so for the king to notice something wrong with him was, was a risky thing. And so uh, the king asked him a question. Well, you know, what is wrong with you? Something's got to be terrible. What is it? And look at, uh, look at what we read here uh, in verse 2. He said, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, I don't know if that was just a practice line. Okay, if you ask me anything, this is what I'm going to say. Or if this was just a Holy Spirit moment of he asked me and just right off the top of his head, he, he blurted this out. We don't know. But what we do know is that it was a courageous thing for him to say this. It was a courageous thing for him to say, why should I not be sad? When my ancestor's city lies in ruins and its gates are burned with fire. Now you say, Craig, why was that a gutsy move? Why was that a risky move? Well, let me tell you. About 70 years earlier, predating Nehemiah, there was a a remnant of the Jews that were allowed to go back and rebuild. I, I mentioned that last week. They were allowed to go back and rebuild the temple and Jerusalem. And so a group of them did go back and they did rebuild the temple and they were working on the city of Jerusalem. But the neighboring countries around them despised them and did not want them to rebuild the city. And so they petitioned to the king of Persia to stop the construction project. They said, King, don't let these people have their city. As soon as they build a wall, they will no longer pay taxes. They will no longer be loyal to you. They will not support you. They are a rogue people, all right? So you must stop this construction. And they were very persuasive, at least enough to stop the construction. So sure enough, the king made, gave an edict to stop the construction. That's why Jerusalem continued in ruins to that very day. So now put yourself in Nehemiah's role. Here he is. He's going to mention that these are his people. He's going to be affiliated with them. 
We don't even know if the king was even aware of this at this point. But he's going to identify with the Jewish people and he's going to go on record asking the king to reverse that decision. It was a risky move. It was a step of incredible faith. And he had no idea how the king was going to respond. Would he get angry? Would he kick him out? Would he kill him? Who knew? It was a huge step of faith. And so look at, look at what uh, he says. Look at verse 4. Then the king asked me, well, what's your request? I mean, I mean, that's the best news ever, right? I mean, that's the best possible response. What do you want, Nehemiah? You got a problem? What do you want? I mean, I'm sure he's played this scenario out over and over and over in his mind. I don't think he ever expected that kind of response. What do you want? And so he has a split second to, to make his request. He's got this split second to, to respond. And so look at what he says here. So I prayed to the God of heavens. I bet he did. <laughs> he just whispered a quick prayer. Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, give me, my, give me the right words. Lord, I don't know what to say. It's interesting that all through the book of Nehemiah, we're going we're gonna to see this over and over and over. The Nehemiah never forgot that it was always God at work in these circumstances. That it was always the Lord opening up this door. This whole conversation was God opening up a door for him. That he saw God as the God of the open door. I love what it says about uh, Jesus in, in Revelation uh, chapter 3 verse 7. Jesus says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Do you understand that? That God's the God of the open door? Any opportunity you have to participate in what God is doing in this moment in time is God opening up a door for you. The real question is not, will God open up a door for me to participate? By the way, he doesn't need us. He doesn't have to open a door for us. He just chooses to do it because he's a good God. But listen, the question is not, will he open up the door? The real question is, will I walk through that door? Will I trust him enough to make the request like Nehemiah. Well, I trust him enough to put action to my heart and action to my words. Will I trust him to get involved? That's the real question. And that was a question that Nehemiah had to wrestle with. And so he said, Nehemiah, what do you want? And he said, oh, Lord, help. And then look at what he says in verse 5. And then he answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, please send me to Judah, to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. This was his shark tank moment, all right? He had just a moment to make his request, just a moment to get it out there. And he said, okay, king, if you really want to know, uh, send me to Jerusalem. Send me back to my people. Send me back to that city. Change your mind on this construction project. Let me be a part of rebuilding this city. And he goes on to ask, if you follow in the next couple of verses, three basic things. He asked, number one, for uh, time off, right? They said, well, how long are you going to be gone? And when are you going to get back? And he had an answer. Boom, 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 right? Because for four months, he's been planning this out. And then they said, uh, then he asked for uh, letters of uh, permission to travel so that the other kings and rulers, regional monarchs would respect him, that he's there on official king business. And then he asked, and this was a gutsy one, he asked for supplies. He said, you know, we need some lumber and we need some materials. And, uh, and he said, by the way, I know the name of the guy that runs your forest down in that area. And I've already checked with him. Don't ask me how he did that, but he did. All right, so he's like, 
I'm asking for these three things. And every single one of them, the king said, it's yours. Make it happen. And just like that, this door of opportunity had swung up. One minute, he's sitting there wondering how this is going to happen. And literally in a few minutes, he now has permission. He now has supplies. He now has cover and protection. He has everything he needs to put this together. And then look at verse 8. He said, the king granted my request for the gracious hand of God was with me. I love this about Nehemiah. The Nehemiah sees circumstances, but he always sees God behind the circumstances. He's like, who else could do this? You know, who would ever, who could possibly turn the heart of a king to give me everything that I asked for? Only God could do it because the gracious hand of God was on me. Listen, anytime God calls you to do something, God will always provide a way for that to happen. If it's of his heart, if God is leading you in it, if God is throwing open a door of opportunity for you and he's stirring your heart to do it, if you will step forward in faith, God will provide for you. I, I, you know, it's a preacher phrase, but I believe it to be totally true that God's vision never lacks God's provision. And that's certainly the case with Nehemiah. He said, Nehemiah, if you trust me, man, I'll blow the doors off. If you trust me, I'll give you more than you could ask think or imagine. That's the God that you serve. Did you know that God's still calling you? God still opens up doors for you. God still wants you to join him. And if you will step forward in faith, God will do more with you than you could possibly ever dream. I think so many people sell themselves short because they're simply afraid to take that step of faith and trust God. Now I want you to just hit pause on the story here for just a minute. And let me just uh, make an application to our church right here. And right now, Nehemiah was granted his request in large part because he had a good reputation with the king. He had been faithful where he was. He had been a stalwart, faithful servant of the king. He had been wise. He had been strong and steady for all these years. And the king trusted him. And so because he was strong and steady where he was, then the king was uh, uh, agreeable to send him somewhere else. That, it was all based on his faithfulness where he was. See that? It was his faithfulness where he was that allowed him to be sent somewhere else. And I think that's true in our own church. For God to use us anywhere else, we have to be faithful here. We have to be faithful and strong right where we are before God will ever choose to use it. Why else would he send us anywhere if we're not faithful doing what he's supposed to do right here where we are? I, I think a lot of churches are not used in a greater capacity because they're saying no to God in the immediate where God has planted them. And so we were thinking about this back in the summer. How would we capture that idea about God wants us to be here faithful and solid, but, but out of that faithfulness, God will send us to other places to advance the kingdom. And, and a phrase became clear to us, strong here to send there. In fact, back in our night of vision in June, I gave another message on that very thing. Strong here to send there. And I think that's what God wants for us right here, right now. I think the word of God for us, for our church in this season is strong here to send there. So what does that mean? What does that mean to be strong here? Certainly it means, uh, you know, it can imply that you know, we need to be strong uh, financially. We need, we need to be strong in sharing the gospel boldly. It means to be strong that we have good, solid group life. But let me, let me just point out one special thing. We need to be strong 
Listen to me. We need to be strong in, in connecting and caring for those that God brings on our campus every single week. Did you know that every week we have people come for the very first time? You may be here for the very first time. If that's you, I'm talking about you. All right, welcome to First Collierville. Right. And, and, and if people that come in our doors, every single one of them come in with this thought in their mind. I wonder if they will be nice to me. I wonder if someone will speak to me. I wonder if somebody really cares about me. I wonder if this is a place that could be a family for me. I was talking with a couple this week and they were sharing their story. They said, we've been in, our, in the church now for several months. We love it. We're getting plugged in. Uh, and they, you know, we're very, very happy with what God is doing in their heart through this faith family. But they said, you know what, Craig, we're telling you the truth. We kind of bounced around to lots of different churches. And I can't tell you how many times we walked into a church, we sat through a service and we left and no one spoke to us. No one. And I tell you what, that just breaks my heart. More importantly, I think it breaks God's heart, don't you? I think it breaks God's heart that this is supposed to be a family. And, and so I, I, I don't want that to ever happen here. Now they said, now when we came here, man, we just felt loved on. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad that that was their, their story, right? But that's what we want for every person that when they come on our campus, there's a natural apprehension. What is this gonna be like? What's this experience gonna be like? We want them from the moment they come in our door to feel welcome and loved and embraced and cared for, right? And so part of being strong here is allowing that to happen. Now, in this Big Give initiative this year, you know, we do this every single year. Every year we have a Big Give initiative that we're all giving to, we're all pushing to. I don't talk about money any other time of the year, but in November, it's gonna happen. And it's always toward a missional initiative that will move us forward. And so part of the Big Give initiative this year is providing an environment, environments on our campus to really connect with those families. For example, we're, we're going to make some improvements on our campus. We haven't done that in several years. Uh, we're going to create a, an atrium in the back here, the, an entrance and an atrium area in the back where when people park and they come in the back, they're not going into, okay, there's like a million doors. Which door do I go in? What do I do? You know what I'm talking about. All the parking's back here. No entrance in the back. Duh. Anyway, uh, we're now we're going to have a place where when people come in immediately, our guest services team can just love on them right when they walk in the door and give them clear direction to what they need to do. We desperately need that. We're going to connect people by putting in an elevator. Did you know we have no second floor access anywhere on our campus? That's bad, right? We have people that can't get in group because they can't get upstairs. And so we're going to provide that. We're going to connect people with a pavilion, just like we did last uh, Easter out here. Remember that big tent out there? It was a place where people can gather and connect and, and groups can use that for parties and gatherings. Listen, we're going to have a place where people can have this outdoor pavilion where they can really connect with people in a relational way. And we're going to build a bridge across the creek so that it connects this campus to our, our student campus across the creek so you don't have to fight the cars, okay? You can be safe as you travel across there. But all these things are for the purpose of connection is to allow us to be strong here so that every person the minute they walk in the door they feel that love they feel that connection they feel the the compassion love of Jesus right here on our campus you know Nehemiah was strong where he was and that's what allowed him to be used elsewhere we have to be strong here but for what purpose why do we need to be strong here look so we can we can send there. Let's continue with the story of Nehemiah. Look at verse 11. 
Nehemiah gets the request uh, answered. He is now uh, made his way to Jerusalem. So we pick up the story there, verse 11. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. And I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates had been burned or destroyed by fire. Stop right there. So Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and I'm sure it was not unnoticed by the people there. I mean, anytime a Persian uh, official comes into town, everybody knows about it. And so here he came and everybody's abuzz, but he doesn't tell anybody what he's up to. He just meets everyone, greets everyone. He'd never been here. I think Nehemiah was just kind of in awe of, of being in Jerusalem. I remember the first time I ever went to Jerusalem, it was like, you know, every, it was just overwhelming, right? That I'm here, you know, I think Nehemiah, this was his first time to ever be there and he was taking it all in. Then on the third, after the third day, he went on his midnight ride, took a couple of men with him, got on his horse and he began to go around the perimeter of the wall. He started with the valley gate on the west side of the city. Then he went south down by the dung gate and then he came up the east side by the fountain gate. What he's doing is working his way counterclockwise around the city. So he's making his way, he's in investigating with his own eyes the damage, how bad is it really? And it was worse than he thought. Sure enough, it was in rubble. Even parts of it were impassable. And so here he sees, and I think while he was looking at this, I think his heart was just being stirred. You know, that, that divine discontent that began in, in Susa was now just overflowing with him. So the next morning, he calls all the city leaders together. He calls the men of the city together, and he begins to cast a vision. And look at what he says in verse 17. He says, so I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we are no longer in disgrace. And I told them how the gracious hand of God had been on me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let us start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. I love that. You know, anytime you cast vision, you got to say what the problem is, you got to say what the action is, and you got to say, why do I need to do it now? And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He's a good vision caster. He said, let me tell you the problem. Don't you see the problem? <laughs> you see what trouble we're in? Come on, guys. I mean, why did they just leave it the way it was? Why was, why was Nehemiah's heart so stirred up, and yet their heart was not stirred up? And you know, there's a reason. Because they just gotten lulled into the way things are. I remember being in Bosnia, Sarajevo, Bosnia, years ago. And it was literally parts of the city were still destroyed from the early 90s when uh, they were bombarded. So many lives lost. And I asked the, my guide, I said, how come all these buildings are still in rubble? I mean, it's been over a decade and they're still bombed out like they were. And he said, well, every time they would start to rebuild, it would get bombed again. And he said, finally, the people just lost their will. That was what was happening. They saw it, but they just lost their will. 
They've been told to stop. Everything seemed to be against them. And they lost their will. And so he said, look, look at the ruin. And then he called them to action. Let's rebuild the wall. Let's finish the job. Let's do what we intended to do years ago. Let us be the generation that gets this done. And then he adds the urgency. He said, so that we are no longer a disgrace. Because every moment that goes by that this wall is down, the name of our God is disgraced. The name of our God is maligned. The name of our God is made fun of. Every single moment, we must do something about this. And then he went on to tell him that the king changed his mind, that he lifted the restriction, that he's not even doing that. He's provided the lumber and he's provided all this. And they were like, hey, well, let's do this. I mean, I love what it says here. It says uh, their hands were strengthened for the good work. They were finally encouraged to do it. It was going to take all of them. It was going to take every one of them. But they were willing to do the work. Now listen, you think about where we are as a church what we've been through with the whole COVID thing and just kind of us uh, making our way back and the strength that God's given us. God's called us to be strong here so we can sin there. You know, in 2019, let me just remind you this, 2019, God laid on our heart what we felt like was a big vision. And that big vision was to plant nine churches in the next five years. All right, we were thinking, like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to plant nine churches in five years. I mean, we, we, haven't, we haven't planted hardly any churches. We only planted two churches other than, than most recently in, in, the, in only two churches in the history of the church, right? So we weren't necessarily a, a multiplying church. God laid on, our heart, laid on our heart this big vision, nine churches in five years. The report now is that God has allowed us to plant 12 churches in only three years. <laughs> 12 churches. Hey, that's worth an applaud right there. 12 churches in only three years. In fact, I'm probably going to tell you this. I didn't tell any of the other uh, services this, but you know, y'all are third service. And so I, I got no back end. I could preach all day. You know, so no, it's all right. But uh, <laughs> let's go. So here's the thing. Uh, we were just, uh, our church was just recognized in a national periodical out of a hundred churches, the top 100 churches that are multiplying churches, we were number eight of the top 100 churches in the country because we have planted 12 churches in only three years. And folks, we're just getting started. Now listen, here's the deal. It's, it's not just that this periodical, you know, wrote us up. That's great. Praise God for that. But, but here's the deal. We're just being obedient to what, what I want you to understand is that there are churches all over the nation now that know about First Colleyville. There are churches and pastors all across the nation that are hearing about this church that is wildly generous and this church that is planting churches all over the world. And that is the grace of God. It's just God opening up an opportunity and it's his people choosing to do something about it. And when you give to the big give, you're not giving uh, just to, to fluff somebody's ministry. It, it, is, it is clearly to be functional, to allow us to be faithful here, strong here, and then also be able to send there. Now, where are we going this year? We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going back to Israel. We're going to be planting a church in Israel this next year. How cool is that? Where it all began, where Jesus started his ministry in the Galilee, that's where we're going to plant a church. In fact, we're planting in a place called Rosh Pina. Rosh Pina 
is a small uh, village or a small little city uh, in the Galilee in between two other cities. One is a predominantly a city of Orthodox Jews. Another one is predominantly a city of Muslims. And then Rosh Pina is filled with hippies, apparently. And so it, hippies for Jesus, right? That's what we need. And so that's where we're going to be planting a church. In fact, do you know that we already have 30 people meeting weekly in Rosh Pina as a part of the core team to plant that church? And this next Sunday, uh, listen folks, you got, you got to be here next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to have all of our church planters here on campus. You're going to see their faces. They're going to get to see you because of you and your faithfulness. They have been able to do what they're going to do. They're going to be in our connect groups. They're going to be on campus. You're going to get to see them. You're also going to meet a man named Pastor Israel. Now follow me here. His name is Israel and he lives in Israel. All right. Don't get confused. And he's going to share what God is doing in Israel and how God is moving in the Jewish people's hearts and minds with the gospel and how we get to be a part of that. I can't think of anything else that's more in the heart of God than planting churches that lift up Jesus, that make disciples to the ends of the earth. And that's what we get to be a part of. This is the open door of opportunity that God has given us. So yeah, we have to be strong here. But we have to be strong here so we can sin there. We have to be strong here so that we can walk by faith through these open doors that God has called us to do. And I'm just glad I get to be a part of a church that's about the Great Commission. We don't just talk about it. We don't give lip service to it. We just don't tip it. We sacrificially and generously give to the things that matter most to the heart of God. When Deneen adopted her son, she had no idea that that one act would lead to a ministry that would redeem and save hundreds of lives. She had no idea. But that one step of faith led to a tremendous movement of God. You have no idea how that one step of faith that you take will make a difference in people's lives. Folks, folks, this church's impact cannot be measured until we get to heaven by all the impact and, and the multiple movements that God is creating through you in this place. But I believe that every church, God gives open doors some never take a sip of faith. Some go, well, you know, maybe not this time or maybe, maybe that's not for us. They resist and they never see the work of God. But listen, if we continue to walk through the doors that God opens, God will continue to do immeasurably more than we can ask and we can think and we can imagine. That's what God wants to do. And it starts right here. It starts with being strong here so we can send there. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You know, every time I read Nehemiah, I'm reminded that Nehemiah is a picture of Jesus. That just as Nehemiah sat in his throne room and in his palace in Susa, the Persian capital, and was brokenhearted over the condition of Jerusalem and the people and left everything to come and to rescue and to rebuild what is broken, that Jesus did the same. Seated in his heavenly glory, he was moved in his heart over your condition 
the brokenness of sin in our lives. And he came to us on a rescue mission. See, what, what separates us from God is our sin. Our sin is what separates us from God, and that's what had to be dealt with. And when Jesus came, he just didn't come to help us have a better life. He didn't just come to give us blessings. He came to deal with our sin issue, to reconcile us back to God. And that could only be done at the cross. And on the cross, Jesus died in your place because he loves you. The scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Before you walk through doors of opportunity, you have to work, walk through the first door of opportunity, and then it is the opportunity to know Christ, to know him by faith. Are you sure that you're right with God? I want to give you an opportunity right now to know for sure just right where you're seated if you say Craig I'm not sure if I died I'd go to heaven I'm not sure that I've truly been saved and I'm not sure that I've really been born again I'm just not sure that I'm right with God then you can be sure our sins are great but his mercy is greater amen and if you will call on him he will hear you right now he will wash you clean he'll make you right with him He'll make you part of his family. He'll use you in ways beyond your comprehension if you turn to him now. So if God's moving in your heart right now, then I just want to lead you through a simple prayer of faith right where you are. A prayer of repentance and turning to Jesus. So you can pray this with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. but I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I need you. I need you. So I'm asking you now, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. Today I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Lord, I thank you for the the beauty of the gospel, the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that... um, that you would fill our hearts with faith to walk through the open doors that you give us. Lord, even now you're opening up a door for our church. Even now you're opening up doors for us personally to be involved. Lord, fill us with great faith to always say yes to where you lead. And Lord, I pray that as we take those steps of faith that you provide every step along the way that we would delight and rejoice in your provision and God that you would do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Lord, I pray that our church would truly be a church that is strong here, strong in sharing the gospel, bold with the gospel, strong in loving people well, strong in in, uh, community and 
that we'd be a church that blesses your name, that you're pleased with us, but not only that, that we would send there to the peoples around this world that desperately need the hope of the gospel. Oh, Lord, use us. Help us take these steps of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,